If you're enjoying Hatch, you can support the show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It can be a one-off thing. The money is going to be used to support the creation and the launch of season two. So if you're interested in seeing another season come to life, just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'd be so grateful. Welcome to Hatch, where society's creative and artistic souls share their stories about starting something new. From actors to artists, to dancers to founders, to designers, to writers, to musicians, we explore what triggers their compulsion to create, how they develop and share their art. And in a world that tells us everyone's too busy to listen, why they bother at all. Jamie McDell is a singer and songwriter. Her records have achieved gold album sales. They have featured on TV series, including Pretty Little Liars, and she's been nominated for and has won a range of New Zealand music awards. Jamie has been in the industry since she was 16 and more recently made the confronting and quite courageous decision to leave the commercial pop world and move to the Northern Hemisphere to work in Nashville to produce music connected with her country and folk roots. As well as being a musician and a creative, Jamie is an environmentalist and an activist. She's fearless, bold, and I'm lucky enough to call her one of my oldest friends. Welcome to Hatch, Jamie. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much, Han. That's just, yeah, the most loveliest introduction. <laughs> if you could play that for me every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Can I set that as your morning alarm clock? Hello. Great, yeah. So, <laughs> Jamie, you grew up in New Zealand in a pretty creative household. Your mum's a clothing designer and your family have always been really passionate about music. You were introduced to the music of Jimmy Buffett and John Denver at a really young age. And I also think that you learned to play guitar by watching your parents perform songs while you sailed on a boat. And I still don't know how that's logistically possible, but it's quite, <laughs> it's quite impressive. <laughs> what is your first memory of creativity in those early years? Yeah, they're actually, you know, they're really vivid and you painted a really good picture there, actually. Yeah, we did spend a lot of time on boats, obviously, when I was seven. As you know, we ended up living aboard a yacht for quite a long time. Um, but even up until then, we'd spent a lot of time sailing and I just remember mum and dad having those artists you mentioned, John Denver and Jimmy Buffett, playing all the time. Um, so we were, yeah, at a very young age kind of doing performances to those songs. But I suppose most specifically, I remember being sort of an odd child and that I felt a really strong connection to the ocean and to the to sea animals, especially dolphins. And at the age of seven, I enjoyed standing up the front of the boat and singing to them and that's kind of what actually brought around to my very first song which was a bit of a sort of sea shanty to the dolphins um <laughs> respecting them and you know their journey but that yeah that was really where I first kind of I suppose started getting into the the practice of making up things for myself um that suited my own life Mm, that's quite funny that you mentioned that as your first sort of memory distinctly of writing a song because you're obviously still 
so passionate about the ocean and sea life and obviously music. So it's kind of funny for some people how those passions are so evident from day dot. Totally. Were you, were you always sure that you wanted to pursue a career in the music industry? Did you feel like it was your calling or sort of one of the different paths that you felt like your life could take? Because for me, knowing you um, growing up, I don't really recall you being particularly vocal mm. about this. So what was that experience like? Yeah, I think I think you're right. And, you know, yeah, hate me for saying it, but I, I don't know that it was always a dream of mine. And at times I do feel like it, the, yeah, it, it fell into my lap a little. Um, I knew I loved music. Obviously, I loved writing songs. By the age of 16, I think I'd written like 100 and, um, you know, just loved to do it. Wasn't wasn't super public about it, mm. but for sure my parents had understood, you know, that that was something that I'd like to spend a lot of time doing. And we had a, a reasonably easy door open into a record label um, and and that was when I was quite young, around the age of sixteen. So that opportunity came up, and it was it was probably more so that my personality was, you know, take every opportunity and make the most of it. Not so much knowing what that actually meant to sign a record deal or what the future was going to look like. So did it for sort of sure, feel like a, a door was kind of opened ajar a little bit, and then you kind of wedged it the rest of the way type thing, rather than you relentlessly sort of pursuing yeah. the stream that you've had forever well at times you know and I, I feel a little bit guilty for that because I know that I I can't say that I was a musician that was you know playing live all the time and really trying to hone in my craft I knew I wrote songs all the time because it was a therapy for me but I think you know of course also by the age of 16 like what have you really done <laughs> um so I did yeah I, I felt almost like it was just such a good opportunity. It was so too good to be true that like, why would I say no? Mm. And that's, I think that's kind of how like myself and also my family probably took it at the time. Of course. And so musically you've evolved and changed a lot since you first started out. And yeah, as you mentioned, you had your first record deal at 16 and you began in the commercial pop world and Mm. You experienced success pretty quickly. Your singles continued to hit the top 20 and top 40 charts basically straight away. So for those who don't know you, could you explain the music style and sound that you've transitioned into now? Mm, Yeah, so I I think um, for me, my songwriting has always revolved around the guitar and just a really strong story, even though... I suppose my early days of releasing albums, it was a little more pop influenced. You know, my very first album was something I'd written wholly myself. Um, there was not too much outside influence into that. So it, it always has kind of retained that, uh, I suppose, girl next door, um, very personal storytelling element. And I do believe that's come from listening to a lot of country music growing up. So I think all that really happened was I just came into my own um, and got my my confidence back around the age of 23, 24 and decided that, yeah, I was I was sick of basically anything manufactured or electronic being part of my musical story and for some reason figured that taking a trip to Nashville might help me really dive into a more traditional sound. 
um, which it did just because I met some really great people that had a lot of experience in roots music. So now I suppose I'm just celebrating the more natural form of the way I write and, and certainly trying a lot harder to actually write meaningful music. Um, whereas I think before I was just kind of vomiting out my feelings. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a kind of an interesting one because it's never been, um, fake or trying to either write something that doesn't sit with me um it's always been very honest but I think because writing say like a three and a half minute hooky song for some reason came really easily to me I would always just write things within half an hour and never go back and make any edits or try to understand a little more what I was saying or try and kind of adjust things to make a little more sense to an audience whereas now I'm I guess I'm just a little older and far more interested in the artistic process um, and also saying things that I haven't heard being said before. Um, and with mm-hmm. that takes just a little bit more effort. Um, and also just research and listening to other great, great music and working with other great musicians. So it's it's probably just appreciating yeah, the art in itself a little bit more than I did. And do you think spending a lot more time in Nashville, so just for some context for listeners, you have about a year and a half or two years, a year and a half ago, moved to Vancouver to be uh, closer to Nashville Mm. because obviously US visas are hard to come (laughs) by. So since, since spending a lot more time in Nashville, has that had a distinctive impact on your sound and especially in, in the Americana space as well? I mean, yeah, that area of Nashville and Texas, I suppose, the sort of South, it really is the home of of country music and and it holds a lot of great history there. And I think also, um, yeah, that certainly helped me develop my skills in that arena because I get to so easily work with musicians, other musicians that have worked in that space for such a long time. And I'm not saying that they aren't, you know, you can't find them in New Zealand, but obviously it's just not as common and not not as easy access. So I just feel like in New Zealand, I was always really searching for something sort of natural and really like traditional gritty country that I just maybe wasn't in the right community to come across. Whereas now, you know, visiting Nashville, I'm just surrounded by so many more like-minded people that when I make an Emmylou Harris reference, they totally get what I'm saying. Um, so it does mean a lot to me and it, and it helps a lot, I suppose, with my confidence considering, yeah, if I brought up John Denver in the studio, it would kind of be a little bit of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) What's it like in Nashville musically, just being part of that scene? I know it must be quite difficult to to describe, but just to give a little insight, I don't know. Well, it's represented yeah, it's, so widely in the media, so I'm curious about it. It is, it is hard to describe. Um, I feel like I have such an outside looking in view at it as well. You know, there's a lot of things I've learned. For example, you mentioned Americana. Obviously, before I uh, took my first trip to Nashville, I had this idea of what country music was. And actually, to me, it was a very traditional sound. I had never heard of the genre Americana. And from what I can see, there's, there's sort of growing a certain divide between what country music really is and the kind of outcasts outside of that. Um, so for me, I actually feel really lucky to almost have not spent too much time 
and Nashville to have got caught up in all of that um, because obviously as an artist being defined by genre is sometimes very frustrating but you know yeah Nashville is is great and it's just a melting pot of creative talent and and just so many people who really celebrate each other wanting to achieve their dreams and I think you know people often ask me is it scary going to Nashville knowing that you're just like one (laughs) young girl of probably like thousands that want to be doing the same you know have the same dreams and to me it's actually a lot more comforting because you are around people constantly that are working towards a similar goal or or just are musical and you have this similar understanding and language that I've, you know, never experienced before. So it's a really a lot of really kind people, people that are really willing to give you advice. Sometimes it like really blows my mind that say musicians that have worked with James Taylor or Linda Ronstad, um, I'm thinking of one, for example, Dan Dugmore, is willing to come in and work on my record <laughs> when he has no idea who I am, you know, has maybe heard a couple of songs and is willing to come in and and work on music with me. It just, I think it does show their humility, you know, they're very humble people that just love music. That's kind of my view of things. And that Southern state kindness and and charm, (laughs) that's quite, quite distinct, quite distinctive characteristic. What did 2020 originally have in store for you? Hmm. God bless um, this year. Interesting. What is going on? I don't know. There, there's a few things. I think, like, I, I do think we had hoped to release an album this year. I was really excited to play the Newport Folk Festival, which is quite a big deal for me because it's had a lot of artists I respect kind of make their mark there, such as Bob Dylan and even Dolly Parton played it last year. So I was wow. very excited to play that. And I think hopefully I'll get the same opportunity um, in 2021. Um, I was planning a wedding. <laughs> oh, girl. Um, also 2021 is just going to be the biggest year of our life. Absolutely. So, you know, and that's all okay. I think um, it's just been hard, probably more so knowing that we have an album sitting there and just trying to figure out what is, yeah, how do I make the best use of this time now? And yeah. get back into the writing phase when I almost feel like I could I had completed that. So, yeah, I'm interested about that because obviously, as a musician, this is your full time job, and yeah, I think typically you hear stories, and I know that this is also sort of true for you that you have an experience and it will trigger you to then go and write a song almost as a, as an outlet or as you said earlier, ther- a form of therapy. <laughs> yeah. So how do you begin something new and how do you, and also in regards to that, how do you translate the career of a songwriter musician into a nine to five? Mm. <laughs> it seems yeah. really challenging. It is really challenging. Um, of course, I love it because of the freedom and creativity that comes along with it. But I think as artists, we go through a cycle um, and, and it usually is in the space of two years where you'll start with a kind of writing period where you're working on writing for a new record you'll then record it and then there'll then be a release with a publicity campaign and maybe some touring and once that's all done you might take a break and start that whole process again Um, if you're lucky that's kind of how your life works and I think you know I think the nine to five thing almost at times doesn't really exist because it's it's just very high and low right so (laughs) Obviously, the time in which you're touring is just so exhausting. 
that um, come the writing phase, you know, you're pretty happy to like have a couple of days off here and there and just kind of wander around coffee shops looking for inspiration. But is sometimes you, you ever do that? <laughs> Absolutely. Like that is sometimes what it is. Um, I know for me personally, and I can probably speak for a few other writers in the genre, it's just finding stories that may be something like, <laughs> if you're lucky, something terrible happens <laughs> and you um, write a fantastic song about it. You're kind of putting yourself in a position where you just have to be constantly aware mm. and, and observant. So if you if you experienced a creative rut or block, what's your mechanism to deal with that? Yeah, I think at this point in my life, I, I know I'm young, but it feels like I've been in this industry for over a decade and it's really just about not being hard on yourself at all. Like if you have a creative blockage, which just, it just happens. I really don't like to force anything or write for the sake of writing. I, I sometimes just, and people disagree with this, but I, I think it's very frustrating. So usually I'm just like, that's cool. Today is not a writing day. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to uh, do something else you know, do some design or read or whatever, trying to equip yeah. myself with like a new vocabulary, perhaps that's going to help me next time I do have a creative spurt. Yeah, just let it come as it as it needs to come. And I think also in relation to that, a lot of your lyrics of your songs are are very honest and real and also quite vulnerable at times. Mm. So with that, that's fantastic in the sense that so many people can relate perhaps to the lyrics of them are you ever um too afraid to release a song or is it has there been a time in which is quite distinctive in your mind where you thought oh this this is going to be a big one to share or or sing live about yeah I suppose there's been a couple I mean I don't I don't tend to to get scared I think I can appreciate that this is just like an art form <laughs> um, selfishly or not there's been a, in a couple of occasions there was a song I released called Tori which obviously names names and I certainly felt like I owed this person yeah the opportunity just to not so much decide whether I should release the song or not, but just kind of warn them that this is what I was planning to do and make sure they weren't too uncomfortable with it, which thankfully they weren't. So that's very lovely of them. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm I'm really struggling with a with a song right now that hasn't been released, a song that's really personal about like myself and some some things, some hardships my family has had to go through, and it's. You know, I really don't want to obviously embarrass my family or hurt anybody's feelings, but that same battle with going, you know, the reason the song is so special is because I tell the truth um, mm. and I'm not inclined to go back and rewrite lyrics just because it's too uncomfortable. So I feel like I'm deciding do I put my family over my art or what, you know, what shall I do? So that's quite that's quite a confronting, <laughs> confronting place to be in. I can imagine at times maybe you can tweak a few words here and there or lines yeah, and yeah. try and soften the blow. Or maybe it's kind totally. of like you know when you are really wound up or like furious and you're like, I'm going to send this really vicious. <laughs> no, no, every everything heightened and then yeah. you can kind of oh, calm them know. down. But then is that not all? Is that not? not real for me like I I kind of hate doing that I don't know what it is mm. I just feel like there's such a, a such a um exciting magical creativity that just comes out of taking those risks and really saying what you mean to say 
and that may just be coming from a place like in the past where I feel a little bit like I was persuaded to write music that say like everyone could sing along to or that was even PG you know and things like that um whereas now I just I don't know it's like it's like I feel like a rebel or something Mm -hmm. which is so exciting to me just to really say what I mean and an internal goal for me that I set a couple of years ago was just like write what you mean to say and I just I've been sticking by it and it's (laughs) <laughs> it's been wonderful. <laughs> yeah, well, that does require a level of of courage. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, gen- you're genuinely putting yourself um, out there for anyone to really yeah. hear. I just like to think people actually find that really interesting. Like, I just think there's only so long we can be kind of fed this like polished, packaged stuff that really isn't getting to the crux of our feelings. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it feels like a lot of what you're writing about comes from quite a feminist lens and increasingly so. Has that been also something that's been intentional? Yeah. Well, it's been an interesting journey for me because I think, I do think as a young girl, like I I was probably quite anti-feminist and that I was someone that wanted to be a boy. Um, I did not like my girl singing voice, I would rather have had a male um, singing voice. I was that girl that said, oh, I get along with boys better. Like girls don't really like me and not understanding that that was actually my issue. And, And it's been a bit of a journey, like reading a few books like Bad Feminist and things like that to try and um, understand where all that has come from and also surround myself with some really great women um, that inspire me and support me. So you know, it's possibly just me trying to figure out my own perspective on all of these things. And that's why that theme has come through my writing so much recently. Mm. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm on the journey, basically. As, as we all are. With, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with many, many <laughs> yeah. things in life. I'm, I'm also curious, sort of, touching on the fact that you have always been, I guess, a bit of a tomboy. You know, you've always been someone also who doesn't wear much makeup and happiest wearing shorts and a T-shirt. And (laughs) it also feels like you've always been really bold and that a part of your identity. And I'm wondering that if despite that, you've still faced pressure from the industry to look or be a certain way. And if so, what that pressure's been like and what those tensions between maybe what the label or industry wanted you to represent or be versus like who you felt you were? Yes, I've certainly (laughs) had a few run-ins. Ups and downs. Yeah, I certainly have. I do want to acknowledge that, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately actually, that I don't think I had a leg up, but because I'm like a young you know, and had been a young, white, blonde, um, hard to put on weight type of female, certain look. The struggles I have, um, I think, were probably quite minimal compared to to others. Um, and as we all know, there's like such a lack of diversity in our industry, um, and especially in country music. Um, so I do need to acknowledge that as well, that, you know, it hasn't been extremely difficult for me but yeah it has been interesting just that small thing you mentioned about not really wanting to wear makeup um and more specifically I from I remember I was just very um intent on I suppose dressing like I always would dress um in shorts and a t-shirt and the label did struggle with that or or other music industry representatives certainly struggled with that 
because it just wasn't part of fitting into at the time the pop star model so yeah I had I had like my favorite was my very first music awards where everyone yeah really wanted me to wear a gown um to the red carpet (laughs) um much to my mother's like hate because she is a dressmaker but um, yeah I love maybe it's more about Jamie Jamie and her mum's Isabel's tent rather than Jamie and the record label no totally we'll see you know and my mum is so like I think I got it from her you know she's so herself and she just would never change for anybody else so it's probably that stubbornness but I just I was really not keen on that at all so my kind of option I put to them was all right like I'll either wear shorts and a t-shirt or I'm gonna wear a shark costume because right now we're campaigning against shark finning in New Zealand waters so like pick one (laughs) where is your ultimatum there's your ultimatum and you know I think they went with the shark costume thing because there was probably a little bit of like a publicity story in that so I ended up yeah I ended up going down the carpet in um, a shark costume and then spend the rest of the kind of evening in a in a like a shark themed t-shirt and shorts and and so yeah people were not happy <laughs> I did I got best of both worlds and I got a lot of criticism um yeah just actually not even so much from my label but comments they were getting from other labels even just saying like oh well you know Jamie just doesn't take her music career seriously so they thought you were being flippant despite the fact that there are so many male artists who will turn up to gigs and events and oh yeah and that was exactly like after that I was just so furious um like I worked really hard at my my songwriting and especially with that first album I was really proud of the fact that I'd written it all myself and I just felt I was doing my album the greatest service by just being myself Um, and presenting that to media and my fans but the fact that it might be misconstrued to think that I'm yeah not taking it seriously by not presenting myself the way you know that I was supposed to was very frustrating (laughs) Um, and and that was like you were saying I remember sending an email to my label with like a couple of pictures of Ed Sheeran and various artists who like you say males who would walk the red carpet and hoodies and stuff and just being like how like is this all good (laughs) like why can't I do this do you think it's changed much over the decade that you've been in the industry I do think so and I mean I, I, I do think there's still issues with diversity but I certainly feel like so so much happiness watching some of these younger female artists especially come through now in the New Zealand music industry who are just so breaking the mold of what a pop star should look like and like really not trying to sexualize anything which you know is is fine still but it's just it's it's a really strong image that's being put across and it also like seems from the outside that they're really driving it themselves and the other thing that I think has changed is that like feminism is a conversation in the music industry and it's really celebrated now whereas I know when I was a bit younger feeling very much on my own feeling like every other female artist in New Zealand was competition not an ally and that was kind of because it was put to me like that just to specifically give you an example there was an artist that they'd kind of said to me like okay this this artist is your competition 
will celebrate milestones you reach that are higher than this particular artist who was about the same age, another female, you know, writing kind of a different genre. But yeah, I remember I got more Facebook likes than her or something like that. And they threw me like a party. (laughs) And it was such a strange thing to celebrate, like never a conversation of like, oh, well, why don't you um, do a writing session with her or, or try to collaborate or reach out and have, you know, a support or, yeah, as I mentioned, ally in the industry. It was so that narrative of there's only enough space for one female. You can't both fit in this in this realm. And I feel uh, there's, there's bits of that around, I will say, but it just feels like it has improved so much. Absolutely. And also, I guess when you're quite young and it's presented to you in that way, you just assume that to be true and you just take that on board as that, yeah, that's normality in the industry. And and mm. that even if that feels uncomfortable for you, perhaps there was part of you that would have loved to do a collaboration. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was dying for it. Like it was really um, messed with, messed with my psyche a lot. Just even once I'd gone independent, it, there was a lot of anxiety around you know, I'd love to reach out to some other female artists and get get some advice. And eventually I started to do that. But in the beginning, I was so nervous. And now that I'm friends with all of these wonderful women in the industry, I'm just, I don't know why, but I think I just thought, would they see me as like a a threat? Would they not want to talk to me? I don't know. Like, it was very strange. Yeah, I can imagine. And I'm so, obviously so glad for you that you, I'm sure that those are like the- Overcome the that. Yeah, because I can I can imagine that the friendships that you've made musically would have quite a different kind of bond to others. You know, so many commonalities and ups and downs. So and you're on a ride that a lot of people, you know, they can empathize with, but, you know, you never fully can imagine what that was like. Totally. So, and also it feels like from the sounds of things, when you immerse yourself in a, a different environment, you're going to Nashville, just the fact that there has to be more than one, <laughs> one person <laughs> at the top, um, probably naturally can create more levels of cohesion earlier on. Well, I just think there's there's enough room at the table for everyone, and I think the fans show that. I think there's just a few old school gatekeepers in the industry that you know are just a little stuck in their ways, and maybe it's worked for them a few times before. So whatever. But you obviously had success quite young, and of course, having that level of of mainstream success early on in the career is what a lot of musicians would dream of. But what's been the flip side? Because I can imagine that there have been unforeseen repercussions and you're sort of on this high early on. What does that mean later on? Yeah, I suppose at this point in my life, I've just gotten to a mindset that I'm so grateful to have experienced at a young age what the mechanics of a record label looks like or a successful album campaign just then going on into an independent setup and I suppose just kind of feeling like I have the knowledge or know what what I need to do or what it what kind of team you need to to have success in the, in this industry um for sure I went through some lows where I was yeah experiencing a bit of anxiety around um especially once I'd left my label and obviously at times like my financial situation 
was quite different. I was questioning. I was a lot of self-doubt. Have I done the right thing? Because at by this pursuing, point. <laughs> by pursuing music in general by, or by leaving pursuing, your label. By pursuing something more honest. And I think like I've, I've mentioned to you, I, I did know and it was said to me when I went to Nashville and created these first recordings, you know, they were so raw and they were, you know, no auto tune, all of this stuff, like completely through the rule book out the window in my eyes. You know, it was said to me like, this won't go on radio. I knew I was making the decision to close the book on, yeah, what I had I had kind of known before. The commercial totally. Totally. So that was a little bit scary, very empowering and very liberating. But I don't walk around all day feeling empowered. (laughs) That's impossible. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like at times you're just like, all right, well, okay, now I'm paying for this stuff myself. This is pretty interesting and pretty daunting. Um, Controlling all these things myself, releasing this record that radio or previous supporters kind of didn't didn't support now um, or weren't willing to talk about in their articles because it just didn't really make sense or fit so it was certainly like all right okay I've fully (laughs) I fully left my old self behind um I'm I'm happy about it it's more me but as as much as I had seen success before wasn't wasn't there the same way so just to give this is probably a poor analogy but for a little bit a little bit of I guess context could be there was a moment or an album in which I distinctly remember <laughs> Taylor Swift deciding to go very, very pop. She was originally pretty country, pretty classic yeah, country, yeah. and she completely changed her whole sound and went incredibly commercial. You've, in a way, and I'm not Done trying the there's, there's, yeah, there's <laughs> a lot more nuance to that, of course, but you've done yeah, the flip of that in a way. The opposite and probably even even more so in that just like the simplest things of sometimes having recordings that nowadays just utilize more live instruments. It just means that the platforms change slightly. And that is a, like in a way why I am really grateful that this whole new world of digital streaming is opening up because, you know, these things like large Spotify playlists that involve a lot of folk or songwriting music or Americana country whatever there are just new platforms out there that that you can kind of utilize to get the music across that's not just radio it must really be um diversifying or becoming even a little bit more democratic in terms of how you become successful or heard yeah and it's listener driven you know Mm. people can find what they feel like they want to listen to. It's it's not always sort of spoon-fed to them by a couple of, yeah, again, like platforms that sometimes can be very narrow. What do you wish that you knew about the industry before you started? I don't, I don't um, know that it's something I wish I knew. I kind of just wish I was older <laughs> when I started. But I think... I think just like a really practical learning for me um, that perhaps people could take away would um, be whilst it's important to know who you are and like for me that meant often telling people what I want to do, like a very plain example when I was uh, with the second label I was with, I sat in a boardroom and explained to like this A&R team that like I won't wear dresses, I write my own songs, like I don't want to do this, I don't wear makeup, you know, 
cool, great, confidence, love it, knows what she's about. But at any point, like, where did I think to inspire and give people examples even or just, like, chat on a little bit more what I did want for myself and the music? So I regret those times a lot, just being on the defense so heavily that I forgot to kind of, I suppose, be a leader. I mean, you know, like in any business, in any group situation, just telling people what you're not doesn't help them understand who you who you are and like what you want for yourself. That's so interesting. An area that I hadn't really thought a huge amount about is actually the musician as as a businesswoman or a businessman. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you've got to you've got to sell. You've got to sell your story and be a salesperson as well. Isn't it insane that comes into every industry? Well, I mean, of course, and that that's if I mean, it totally depends on your goal, right? I mean, I think for most artists, I could say we we just want to have a bit of sustainability in our careers um, and have them last so that we can keep having the freedom to create what we want to create for years to come. But to do that, you have to be generating some kind of revenue and whether that's like number one hits or selling out, you know, a couple hundred people venues around the country. What's your ideal for you as a musician? What's that balance that you would love to achieve or embody eventually? I mean, of course, like it would be silly to say I don't want a number one hit across the world because I'm sure that wouldn't be the worst thing. But I think for me, it's it's really just creating a career that allows me to continue for years to come and kind of live comfortably. I've experienced the kind of one or couple hit spike and that's really cool. But yeah, I think it definitely comes down to um, trying to achieve that longevity for me. Do you think that the artists who achieve those massive hits early on, it inevitably is only a, a small window of time before they drop off? Like, I'm curious as to you, for you, you know, you've achieved a taster of that and why that kind of feels like it's it's enough there for now. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's a good question and I'm not too sure because I've never, like I've experienced some success in a small island called New Zealand but I don't know what it would be like to yeah say achieve number one sales in America I I really don't know I suppose it depends what it's been built off and I think there's a little bit more pressure on women to have to reinvent themselves every time they release something just because things like for example our age is so heavily focused on um you read the headline time and time again like oh she's only 13 and she's managed to write this and it's just like okay well what happens though when when she's 20 like is it still as interesting I'm not too sure a lot of it comes down to just it's it's so circumstantial that Mm. one 13 year old might have been in music school from the age of four so then perhaps that was a natural progression for her to get to that stage at the age of 13. I mean, we live in a society that's obsessed with age. And I can imagine also for you, especially a bit more in the pop scene early on, Mm -hmm. there was that time, that ticking time bomb on, on, you know, being a pop star. And there's an age limit with that, obviously. But perhaps there's less of that pressure now that you've shifted more into America. And surely, like, I mean, I knew I felt it myself. It's like having a young fan base. It's, it's wonderful for sure. The general like values of country music is mainly what's appealing to me. 
it is that genre that revolves around the lyric and the story that at times it just does feel like there's a, a little less weight on um, how you present yourself and what age you are and whether you're. I would also like to know, what do you think is the most challenging part of being a musician? Hmm. I think for me, it's probably just been not having friends that understand <laughs> and it's not their fault, right? It's not anybody's fault, but at times it just can be very isolating because you just have this very strange, I suppose, career that you've chosen because again, like it's not a nine to five. People are often curious, like, how do you make money? Um, are you able to buy a house? Like, do you pay taxes? Like it's, yeah, you you do tend to kind of isolate yourself a little. Um, And, you know, I just think the solution to that is to really, really try and find your tribe. Maybe is it, yeah, other musicians or other creatives that are going through similar issues that you just may not be able to really discuss openly Mm. with your friend that's an accountant. And again, that's no one's fault. And it's not to say that, yeah, they wouldn't have that empathy. It's just sometimes hard to understand and you can feel very alone. So my life as a musician, I have to say, like has just changed from having the right people around me, the like-minded people that can understand, you know, Mm. what, say, I might be going through, what the lows are. You know. Do you think loneliness is something that a lot of musicians experience? Mm, I think so. I think for sure. And it's hard because, you know, you're, you're often having to explain yourself, <laughs> you know, like there's loneliness, there's hardship, there's financial strain, right? And people must just be going like, why do you guys do this to yourself? You know, Why, why do you do it? It's just this, it's like that crazy passionate um feeling in your body that just honestly says this is who you are like for me it's just there is no place I feel more safe and comfortable than with a guitar singing my story like that is who I am and I really I don't know how to describe it more than that so to deviate from that would be (laughs) would be deviating from yourself and yeah and that that's almost impossible when you've been doing it for a decade. Like I think I've said to you before, I, I look back at the album that I released when I was a lot younger and like at times I'm like, oh my gosh, could that just be deleted from the world? But, <laughs> and, you're, and you know, right now I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm in a really good place, love the music I'm making, would hate to think like in 10 years what I might look back and think of it. But As much as part of you wishes that you could delete your <laughs> early songs or album or whatever, um, you have to remember, I guess, that that was a reflection of exactly where you at at that time, and totally. that, and that those stories that you told and the sound that you that you made and what you represented resonated with a, a huge number of people who were also in exactly that same of same point in their life. And totally. I think if we don't feel like we have moved <laughs> on, there's probably something wrong. We're now entering the final words part of this podcast, which are a series of questions asked to every guest. Jamie, what profession would you have if you weren't a musician? Uh, a scuba diver instructor. I feel that for you. Could you describe the music industry in three words? <laughs> hard 
exciting, freeing. What are you not very good at? Maths. I can vouch for that. (laughs) Yep, you know, Hannah. (laughs) I think everyone that knows me can vouch for that. It's true. A song you'll never get sick of. (laughs) Take Me Home, Country Roads by John Denver. What is your greatest fear? My greatest fear is just probably being stuck in one place. Physically or? Like all of the above, physically, mentally, just like being kind of trapped. Stagnant, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What quality do you most like in another person? Probably just kindness. You're speaking to 16-year-old Jamie. What would you say to her? I would say wear sunscreen. Stop pretending to be stupid. You're actually really smart. And you don't have to be a bitch to be strong. To finish us off, can you please sing a lyric or a line of one of your favourite songs that you <laughs> Um, okay, here I go. Here's an acapella bit of <laughs> Botox for you guys. <clears throat> um, every day I look in the mirror, discover me a new set of lines. So I was kind of thinking of Botox, baby, a modern way to turn back time. And maybe I could add to my order Or does it even work like that? Ask the doctor if he could make me shorter So you can get your manhood back <laughs> Genuine tingles Jamie <laughs> McDowell Thank you so much for coming on Hatch. So great to chat. So great, Hannah. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to the first ever episode of Hatch. If you enjoyed it, I'd love for you to rate, review and subscribe to Hatch wherever it is that you listen. It makes every difference. See you again next week for another episode. Bye.